All right. Uh, so if you've got your Bible, you can open it to uh, Ephesians. Uh, the book of Ephesians is where we are. And we'll be in chapter 2, verses 17 through 22. Uh, back in 1999, I know that was a long time ago for some of you, uh, maybe even not even alive. Um, but in 1999, Teresa and I built a house. Now, it sounds more glamorous than it was, but I had just started at this uh, small uh, Baptist church in Kentucky as their pastor. Um, and, you know, uh, we, the, we were looking for a home around the area. There wasn't anything really available. It was a pretty uh, like, um, tight market at that time. And uh, there was a home being built that was a, what's called a spec home. A developer builds it, and then people believing somebody would buy it. Well, we found out about it before they even broke ground, so we bought it. Like, we put a down payment on it and all of that, and, and so we had the glorious opportunity of walking through building this, this home. Now, when I say it wasn't glamorous, I mean 1,500-square-foot single-family home. It was not big, huge, but one of the fascinating things was getting to see everything from the footers being poured, which go under the foundation all the way to the roof and shingles and all the finishes, uh, on the interior, uh, we actually went around. This is a funny story. We went around on all the doorposts and stud and studs and windows around the house, and we wrote scripture in sharpies before they drywalled. Um, so somebody someday somebody's going to be renovating that house, and they're going to find scripture written all over the place. Um, but we we prayed over our home that way. It was a lot of fun. But what was not fun was it took forever, and we were living in a basement. And when I say basement, I don't mean one of these fancy Boston basements. I mean the ceiling like this high, like beam right through the middle of the living room, uh, which I nearly killed myself on, almost knocked myself unconscious probably a dozen times, which might explain a lot about me as a person. Uh, But uh, didn't have a shower, had to go into the unfinished part of the basement and take a shower standing on a pallet with a shower head coming out of a pipe. Um, And I used to watch spiders uh, build nests while I was taking a shower and dream of my home that we were going to move into. Uh, but it took forever. It was such a long process. The, it was the f- contractor's first home, and he just would work real hard for about a week, and then he'd disappear for three weeks. Um, and then things were done, and they weren't done right, so they had to be done again. Uh, and we went through this process, finally got into it, but it taught me so much about a house, about what it means, how a house is built well. And um, I knew, because I had seen the, the footers, which are basically the concrete like feet that go under the foundation, I knew that uh, for example, this guy didn't know what he was doing, so he used about 40 or 50% more concrete than he needed, uh, but I knew our house was stable, right? It's not going anywhere. I saw the foundation built. I knew all of that, and, and it built, even though the house itself was a little bit of a mess, and after we got into it, had a few issues here and there, uh, the foundation was solid, and I knew it would be there, that it wouldn't go anywhere. And in this passage we're looking at today, in Ephesians uh, 2, 17 through 22, Paul uses the metaphor of a building um, and how Christ is the, uh, or how the teaching of the apostles and the prophets and how Christ himself uh, is the foundation and then Christ himself is the cornerstone, which is not really a term we use a lot today, but we'll, we'll get to that in a moment, what the cornerstone is. And then, then in fact, that you and I are, are being built together into that home, a home that that God himself is going to dwell in. You could think of it as a royal palace, if you will. Um, If you're new, we're walking through this book of Ephesians. And Ephesians is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus about 10 years after he helped plant it. Uh, Ephesus is a city you can go visit today. It's in modern-day Turkey. 
Um, and we've been walking through this letter. And so far, just to summarize the kind of major points, is chapter one, he talks about the blessings that we have in Christ, all of these incredible, cosmic, huge blessings. And then chapter two, verses one through 10, is maybe in all of the Bible, the best um, explanation of the plan of salvation that I know. Like you can, if you have a friend that's not a Christian uh, and you want to go somewhere in the Bible to help them understand what the gospel is and does, uh, take them to Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. It's a beautiful picture of, of what it means and how we're saved and all of that. And then last week, we began a section, chapter 2, verse 11 through 22. And that section is all about the church. And actually, it goes into chapter 3 as well. So next week, we'll, we'll get into that. But chapters 2, verses 11 through 22 is really about the unity and, 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 and power of what God is doing in his church today. And we looked at the idea of separation, reconciliation, and unification in Christ. Today we're looking at uh, what it means to be a part of the church. What is the nature of this, this thing that God is doing exactly? So I'm going to follow, I'm going to read uh, Ephesians 2, 17 through 22. And if you'll follow along in your Bible, and, um, and when I'm finished, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. And I invite you to respond by saying, thanks be to God. Verse 17. And he, that is Jesus, came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we have both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, anytime we talk about church, um, I, I just want to recognize and I realize that, that church, uh, for some people, is a four-letter word. Uh, church, church has not always been a place of, of life-giving community. It's sometimes been a painful place, been a place where, where there are wounds and there's pain. Uh, and, I, and I see these kind of in uh, two categories of, of, of wounds. One is, is wounds from, from ungodly leadership. And the New Testament recognizes these, and these are what called, are called wolves. Um, and, and the wolves go among the, the sheep. And you don't have to be an expert in, in shepherding to understand the idea of a wolf traveling among sheep is not a good thing. There's going to be hurt. There's going to be wounds. There's going to be devastation. And so uh, there's a recognition in the New Testament that wolves will come in and seek to lead the flock and disturb the flock and hurt the flock. And there are people and maybe even you, who have been hurt deeply by ungodly leadership, by, by leadership that is not just made a mistake, but fundamentally is oriented in a way that's against uh, what Scripture teaches. Now, that's one type of, of wound. The other wound is what I would just, I, for lack of a better term, I would call everyday sin. Um, because of the fact that we are a broken group of people, I am broken, you're broken, and we are being built together, being towards something, but we're not yet there, uh, which means I'm going to sin against you, and you're going to sin against me, and we're going to sin against each other. And that's the nature of, of how we function as a church, which is one of the reasons why, if you, if you look at the way Jesus talked about community, and, and Paul, and, and Peter, and John talked about community in the New Testament, there's a fundamental emphasis on grace, on grace operating horizontally, not just vertically between us and God, but horizontally between us and each other. Why do you need grace? It's not because I'm awesome and you're awesome, right? 
It's not that we just need awesome. We're all awesome and therefore we need grace. Why do you need grace? You need grace because someone's going to hurt you. You need grace because someone's going to sin against you. I literally said this. I'll never forget it. My first Sunday as a pastor. I literally, it's my first pastorate. Uh, and I, I got up to this church. And I think the next oldest people beyond my wife and I were like 60, 65. <laughs> uh, it was a very old, very small church. And I, I just, I knew from scripture, I said, listen, I understand. I want to tell you this. I'm going to sin against you. Not intentionally. I never will hurt this church on purpose, but I will sin against you maybe individually uh, or in, in various ways. And, I, and you're going to sin against me and we're going to sin against each other. And so we have to agree at the very beginning, grace is going to be our mode of operation. Not Grace doesn't ignore sin, right? Grace doesn't say it doesn't matter what anyone did. It recognizes the full hurt and the full wounds and then works through that with each other through the power of grace. So I said this, I said, you got to come to me. <laughs> you got to tell me, I can't repent of what I don't know about, right? And you can't repent of what I don't tell you about. And so uh, grace has to operate in this church. Um, and sometimes that it doesn't happen. Even though there is that everyday sin between each other, grace doesn't operate. And so we get hurt. And I realize that even now I, I have conversations with people that, that are like, well, I'm disappointed in this church and I'm disappointed in that church. And I get it. I get it. Um, but, but there's like this idea of a perfect church. Listen, I got to start one, right? Like if anybody thought they were actually going to start a perfect church, it might have been me. Um, somewhere in the back of my mind, I was going to get it right. I was going to get, we were going to come together. We were going to be a community that got it right. But the truth is, we have hurt each other. In this church, we have hurt each other over the years. I will say, grace is our operating system. By and large, without any question in my mind, I can affirm that. But we have, we've hurt each other. So if you're looking for a perfect church and you're visiting, I would encourage you to go find another church uh, because I ruined this one by being a member here. Um, so if you've got your life together, you don't sin against anyone and, and you can always uh, process sin really well, go find another church, join that. Maybe you can help them grow in their perfection. Um, we, however, are a struggling group of people. And, and so I would say today, my prayer is that if you have been hurt by the church, uh, great, uh, my prayer is that grace, you would come to understand and feel the grace of God helping you to heal, helping you to trust, helping you to uh, press back in when maybe you've pulled back uh, yourself. So as we look at what it means to be a community and as a church today, Paul emphasizes we have a common path, a common position, and a common purpose common path, common position, and a common purpose. And I'm relating all of this to, to God as a king, because there's, a, there's the metaphor of, of a king and a kingdom and being citizens of a kingdom through this passage. There are other metaphors. Truth is, Paul actually mixes metaphors here. He talks about buildings and then buildings growing. I don't know if you've ever seen a building grow, but they don't grow. Only living things grow. Uh, so Paul loved mixing metaphors, so I just picked one of these metaphors and used it as our guiding principle for this passage. So uh, the first is a common path to the king, that you and I, as members of Jesus' church, have a common path to the king. Verse 17 and 18, Paul says, And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Now the word access here is a, in the original language is, is a word that is not just general access but access related to a sovereign, to a sovereign king or ruler. And so you don't get just, I mean, we know this even today, right? You don't get just access to 
a ruler or sovereign or king. You don't, you don't get to go knock on the front door of Buckingham Palace and say, I would like to talk to the queen, please. And they go, oh, of course, come on in. You know, No, you have to have access. You have to go through the right channels. You have to have someone who says, you get to go in. Here, I've, I've made the way for you. And so for us as, as Christians, we have access to God together through Christ, through the power of the spirit, one spirit. So it's not one, one spirit for, uh, for, for a certain type of people, maybe those who grew up in church, and uh, one spirit for those that, that uh, didn't grow up in church but have started you know, coming and following Jesus. No, we have one spirit. We have one access together to Jesus. And so Paul, um, Paul uses a, a weird phrase here. Uh, he says, Jesus came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. Um, I don't know if, you know, the, the Ephesian Christians, probably none of them, likely none of them ever saw Jesus in real life. So what does this mean that Jesus preached to them who were far off and to those who were near? And the, the term preached here is not what I'm doing right now. The term preached here in the original language is, is gospeling. It's good newsing. It's declaring the good news uh, of, of eternal life. And so when Jesus began his ministry, it says he went out and began to preach the good news. He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is here. So the good news is God is ushering in a kingdom. So uh, Jesus, the gospel, uh, Jesus preached, or that is established the gospel, the good news uh, through his life and ministry. And that good news is for those who are far off and for those who are near. And this good news changes everything. I think one of the biggest mistakes I made in my Christian life early on, uh, and it wasn't really I'd like to say it's me, but I just wasn't discipled in this. That the gospel is not just for salvation in a sense of for that first step into the kingdom of God. It's like, I don't have, I don't have uh, eternal life. I believe the gospel. I now have eternal life, and now I've moved on. That's, that's how I thought about it. But the gospel in the New Testament, and the gospel in, in the way that Jesus taught it, Paul taught it, the gospel is what we walk in. The gospel is not just good news of salvation, for that first day that I believed, but for my entire life, that the gospel is working in and through me, that the gospel is what unites us together and brings us together. Uh, Jackie Hill Perry said this, the gospel should inform everything. It doesn't just stop at salvation, it continues. The gospel changes the way I look at everything. Why does it change the way I look at everything? It changes the way we look at everything because we have a new king. We have a new king. You see, every Christian in this room and every Christian across the globe who is part of Jesus' church, part of his kingdom, we have a new king that we're following. We, had, we were under, uh, back in Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3, we were living under the power of the, of the prince of the power of the air and the sons of disobedience. We were living a different way, under a different ruler, the prince of the power of the air. We know who he is, Right? Now we have a new king. We've been given access. We've been given peace with God and with each other. And this is an important part. You've heard me say this already in the series, but we go to God together or we don't go alone. We don't go at all. You go as part of the church, which is why I totally understand and my heart breaks when I hear Christians who, who say, man, I've just been wounded 
by the church, and I've just, I've just had to pull back and kind of be by myself some, and you know, I just don't know if I can go back. And I, and I understand wounds. I understand that. It's, it, it's weighty. It's, it's, when you've been hurt by something you, and someone who you thought was it, it, you know, your community, your people, and then you've had to step back, that's painful, right? I get that. But we were never meant to live on our own. We were never meant to live on our own. We are part of Jesus's church. So we can't say like, hey, you know, I'm just going to kind of do my own thing, me and Jesus in this world, and I'll meet up with you at the end. No, you're, you're part of a family. You're functioning like a, you're a functional orphan, right? You're acting, you're part of a family, but you're functioning like you're not. And Jesus wants us to be a part of his family. He knows it's a mess. He died because it's a mess, right? And so I don't want to discount the wounds, but I also want to remind us um, that we, we get Jesus together or we don't get him at all. We don't have option to have our own plan with God that's just he and, he and us. Now, think about this access <clears throat> to God, access to the king. Let's, let's just say you, say you, you got access to uh, the Queen of England and you were, you were in England for you know, a six-month period. How, how often would you use that? I don't know about, me, about you, but you know, I'd be a little reticent to like just pop in every day. What's up? You know, how are you doing? Hey, I wanted to talk to you about this. What's going on? Like, we, you'd be reticent, right? I would be reticent to, to embrace that. And I think sometimes we can think about God. He's, he's sovereign king of the universe, right? Like, should we really be bothering him a lot? But you have to remember, God is, God's not like your dad. I mean, your, your, your dad, if you're like, like mine, mine would sometimes threaten me, bother me one more time while I'm doing this. You know, uh, my dad never looked at me and said, 24-7, whatever I'm doing, feel free to interrupt. Feel free to come and bother me, right? No parent ever did that. Um, but God is not limited like our parent. God is an unlimited father. And so he says in Hebrews 4.16, Uh, He says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So we come today together as a community. We have a path to the king together. uh, And he's not a fickle, unpredictable God. He's a God who says, no, come on, come on. Like he's, he's delighted that we are gathered in this room together, singing his praises and praying to him. He's delighted in that. And he's going to be delighted in two hours when you have some time and you can pray then or in the morning when you get up and you're getting a shower before you head to work. He delights in you coming at that point. We have a father who delights, regardless of how tired we are, weary, weighed down by sin, shame, bitterness, or pain. He wants us to come. So we have a common path. We have a, secondly, we have a common position in the kingdom. A common position. So this whole passage, and I've already said this, but last week and this week is about us being joined together. There's, there's so much language of what Christ did to bring us together. Despite our differences, despite our, 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 our you know, racial or ethnic differences in the past and hostilities, it says in, in, pre, in this passage that we are brought together, being built together. And I would argue that this might be, this is one of the most powerful things that uh, we can focus on as a church. When I, when I started sitting on a hill, um, I looked out at the city, I looked out and I said, you know what, there's, there's better speaking all over the city. There's 
There's better music. We have Berkeley College of Music down the road, right? So you can find like great music in the city um, and you can find fun people. So it's, it can't just be about like entertainment. It can't be about the, the, the preaching being the thing or the music being the thing. It has to be more. And the one thing that, that, that the church of Jesus Christ offers in the city that's not offered anywhere else is a community. A community that's not based on uh, a bunch of affinity we have in common. We're all from the same area. We all think alike. We all look alike. We all act alike. We all vote alike. We all have the same education. The same. Yes, there are some things that we do have in common by the fact that we live in this city and where we do in the city. But the truth is there are a lot of other things we don't have in common. Many, many things we don't have in common. And what has happened in Boston, and I would argue more so even in the last 10 years, uh, 11 years since we started, is, uh, is a brokenness of community and relationships. Loneliness was an issue when we started, but now it's an epidemic. Um, a study was released back in February by Harvard, and they said, quote, our new report suggests that 36% of all Americans, listen, including 61% of young adults and 51% of mothers with young children feel serious, quote, Serious loneliness. About half of the lonely adults in our survey reported that no one in the past few weeks has taken more than just a few minutes to ask how they were doing in a way that made the person feel uh, they genuinely cared. Young adults suffer higher rates of loneliness, anxiety, and depression. According to the, uh, a recent CDC survey, 63% of this age group are suffering significant symptoms of anxiety or depression. That's an epidemic. We talk about the pandemic. There's, a, there's, there's something behind the scenes here that people are dealing with that they don't have. We don't have the capacity. This thing is not going to solve it. You can be connected with 10 billion people on this and still not have and still feel isolated and alone. People need community, which is why it's so important that we as the church are a community together, that we and understand our role and responsibility and who we are. I say this, if, if this is you today, if you came in here today and you have been struggling with loneliness, you've been struggling with maybe anxiety, you've just felt alone. Like, I want to say this, that God sees you and God loves you, right? And I want you to understand some two other things as well. Number one, there are probably dozens across this room that feel that today. And dozens more that have felt that over the last couple of years, right? And then there's no one in this room that if you told them you were struggling with loneliness, they would be like, oh, what? Why? No, we have all felt that. And isn't that weird that God has is, God is actually put us in a room together? We all have experienced this to one degree or another, some more so right now, obviously. But we have all felt this isolation. And God, but yet God has brought us together as a people. So I would say, if you're struggling with loneliness, don't leave today without telling someone. Find me, find a, a Mike or, or one of the staff or, or even the person that you came with. Just say, I'm in a really bad place right now. I'm struggling. I promise you, they will not be surprised. And you might hear them say, me too. And, the one, and that's not going to like throw a big fancy band-aid on your suffering. Right? doesn't mean it goes away, but what it does mean is you're no longer alone. And that's what the church is. The church is a people 
brought together. Look at what Paul says in verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So he has two relationships here, two metaphors, citizens of a kingdom and members of a family. Now think about these analogies for just a moment. If you stop and slow down, you're no longer strangers and aliens. You know what that feels like, right? We can, we can conceive of that. Some of you have experienced that. Strangers and aliens. You are now citizens. Citizens come with privilege, come with, come with uh, prestige, right? With rights and freedoms. You are a citizen now. You're not a stranger. You're not an alien. You're not divided from other people. You are united with the other citizens of the kingdom. And you're no longer, you're no longer separate. You're no longer uh, um, a stranger, an alien. You're a member of the household of God. You're no longer somebody knocking on the front gate of Buckingham Palace. You just were given a title and joined the family. Right? And you have all the rights and privileges now of a family member to go and to, to be a part of that. Not that any of us would probably want to, but this is the good news Jesus is talking about that we're not just reconciled to God, but we're brought into something that, that really transcends all of us. Right? It transcends, it's bigger than all of us. None, no matter how much money you have, no matter how much, how hard you try on your own, you cannot create this. You will always, listen, if you try to create your own little church over here, your own little community, you end up creating it around either mutual disgruntlement with the church, which is an affinity group, by the way, <laughs> or it ends up being just your peers and people who think like you, who are your age and who have the same culture. But the church is this crazy, diverse community where we're just, we're brought in and like, we're family, right? Even if we don't speak the same language. This is one of the reasons why love is taught throughout the New Testament as the fundamental marker of the church. Love. Love expressed in service. Love expressed in bearing each other's burdens. Love expressed in, in like a family, right? A good family, not, not a broken family, not you might have experienced, but a, a, a beautiful family where people genuinely care for and sacrifice for each other. This is why... City on Hill emphasizes our community groups so much, right? If you've been around Koa, you know, here's the pitch. He's going to make the pitch. It's that time in the sermon. Um, I've made it, let's see, 11 years, 50 sermons a year, whatever, 550. I've probably maybe missed two Sundays in there of not emphasizing it. Uh, But why we have community groups? Because you can't practice family in this context showing up for an hour and a half a week. Can you imagine uh, me uh, being a husband and, 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 and dad, and like I just spent an hour and a half with my family on Sunday morning. That would be a very unhealthy family. Wouldn't it? No, a family is where you're, you're walking with people, you're sharing your lives, you're learning about each other, you're bearing one another's burdens. All, these lang- all, this, all the one another's, the 58 one another's in the New Testament that show up, right? Expressed in community. And I know that... Um, well, I would say this. No one stumbles into that kind of depth of community. I've never heard anyone in my entire life is, I was just walking along on my own, and all of a sudden I found deep 
soul level community with people who loved me and cared for me and I knew them and they knew me. No, that doesn't happen. You're, and I would argue your drift will always be away from that. So, so listen, I, I know work's hard. Anybody's work easy? Just raise your hand. We all want to meet you. Work's super easy. I get paid a ton. I'm really good at what I do. And it's just so easy 24-7. No, work is work, right? So work's hard. Sometimes you got to work during your CG. I get that. Sometimes you're tired and you're just exhausted. You've had it crazy. Sometimes you're sick. Sometimes you just need, you've had people pulling on you and talking to you and yelling at you or whatever all the time. I just need a few minutes by myself. I can't go to CG this week. That's fine. Totally get that. But you string a few of those together and you will find yourself being more and more isolated. Listen, I, I, I said this, you, I said this a moment ago, you start functioning more like an orphan and less like a member of a family. And don't you think you have set yourself up also tempted, be discouraged, to feel alone? Because you weren't made for that. You're made to be connected. So I would say just, just be careful about missing your community group. It might feel like eating at McDonald's, right? So I ate, going to the retreat a couple weeks ago, I ate at McDonald's. Don't look at me like that. I know you eat at McDonald's too. They sell like 2 billion burgers a day, right? So like somebody else besides me in this room is eating at McDonald's. I don't do it a lot. But imagine I just said, I'm just going to eat at McDonald's every day because it tastes good. And I drive right by it all the time. It's super convenient for me to just pop in and grab my meal instead of cooking it or eating a salad or anything healthy. Uh, I'm going to eat McDonald's all the time. Well, I probably wouldn't be here next Sunday, right? So I'm not saying don't eat at McDonald's. Go eat at McDonald's. Miss your CG one week. If you need time to like rest, don't feel guilty that you missed your community group. Don't eat at McDonald's all the time. <laughs> it's not good for your soul. And your soul will let you know that after a while. God put you in community for good. That brings us to our final purpose here. We have a common purpose for the king. So we have a common position in the kingdom. We're citizens. We're fellow members of God's household, brothers and sisters, right? But now we have a common purpose for the king. Look at verses 20 and 22. It's built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit foundation of the prophets and our apostles and prophets, a weird phrase. Commentator, scholars struggle with this a bit. I think probably the most simple solution is it's the, it's the prophecy of Christ, the coming Christ, that, that Christ would establish a new kingdom, a new people, a new covenant. And then the, the apostles themselves witnessing the gospel and testifying to that gospel. So it, we, we have built on the foundation of those that prophesied Christ would come and those that saw Christ come, and that's the foundation we're building on. Christ is the cornerstone, which is a term we don't use a lot. Um, it's the, in the, in the um, building, not just historically, but also around the world today in some places where they still build buildings by hand, a cornerstone was the most important stone in the building. It was part of the, the foundation, and it was used... It was literally a corner, and it was often the largest, the most precise uh, stone in the structure because it, everything else was plumbed by it. Everything else was built off of it. 
The cornerstone was the measurement for the rest of the house. How big the house could be, how big the building could be was based on that cornerstone. So Jesus is the cornerstone of the church and he himself determines everything that's built on top of it. So Paul uses the language, I don't know if you picked it up, uh, the parallel language in verses 21 and 22, being joined together and being built together. So we're being joined together and we are being built together. And I have to say this, it's not a, it's not fast. I mean, occasionally God shows up and moves in a church and blows a church up. Um, I'm, I'm not against that, but it's, it's kind of rare. Oftentimes, most of the time, it's kind of like your, your kid growing, um, you know, it's kind of slow. And then one day you turn around and they're like six inches taller and you're like, what just happened? And you know, they've been growing every day, right? <laughs> they've been growing some. And, and, and so the church grows like that. We planted in 2010. Uh, launched uh, with about 60 people. Um, and, and God has slowly built this church over the years as a community. We were uh, joined together and being built together. When we launched, we said we wanted to be a gospel-centered community on mission in the city, which our core values, we still say them, gospel, community, and mission. The idea is the gospel. Jesus is our cornerstone. This is what we're about. We're not, we, can't, we can't hijack purpose here. We have a purpose rooted in who Christ is and what he's done. And we are a community. We're a people. We're not a bunch of individuals. We're not here for a show on Sunday. We're here as a community of people. And we have a mission in the city. And we're, as we're being built together, we are being built up. And Christ brings people into that community and builds it. This is one of the reasons why we have formal church membership. Anyone is a welcome to attend COA. Anyone is welcome to attend a community group. And to attend the vast majority of events that we do. But we have a formal membership structure because we have a revolving door of people who come in and and go. And we need this understanding, this clarity of this is who we are. We are being built together, which means we have to have this sense of belonging. Um, And we don't want to place expectations on someone uh, who, who just pops in once, right? There's no expectations for that. You, and that's what I was saying. You're allowed to attend and sort of like put your foot in the water and decide that. But for those that are like, no, this is my church. This is my people. This is where I want to be. We have a formal membership process that we go through. It's, it's basically deciding who's, in this sense, locally for us, who's in the family. Like who's, who's saying, I'm, I'm not going anywhere. I'm here. I'm committed. Uh, I want you to look out for me. And so, you know, one of the things in the New Testament that's taught is that in Hebrews is that um, uh, leaders have to give an account for for their followers, for the people in their flock. And and I have to ask the question without some clear sense of who's in and who's who's not, who am I accountable for? Like, I I love you, but I don't want to be accountable for you if you show up once a month. How can I shepherd you? How can I walk with you? How can I know you? And if you're popping in and you're just, you know, you're just checking out the church, then like, yeah, you shouldn't have some weird expectations. And I certainly don't want to be responsible. So, so membership for, for Koa is about saying, I'm in. Um, and I wanted to share this because this is a picture of what this text is really talking about today is our, our church covenant. And I'm going to read it and then close us in prayer. So what, what a church covenant is, is a promise statement that we make together as covenant members. And then we go over this in the member class. Um, 
And, and we actually read this covenant together in most of our member meetings to remind ourselves of this. But, but you'll notice this, it's not about like these, oh, this, don't do this, don't do that. It's, it's, it's about, no, this is the picture of the community we want to be like. So this is what, what, we, what we've had since day one. Believing that we've been brought by the grace of God to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and have been baptized upon our profession of faith in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and continuing to live by his grace, we joyfully covenant the following with each other. Joyfully, so not reluctantly, but joyfully. We will work for the unity of the church by acting in love towards other members, by refusing to gossip, and by submitting to the leaders God has given to the church, and will pray for the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. We will walk together in love and exercise a loving care and accountability over each other and faithfully encourage and correct one another as necessary. We will not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, nor neglect to pray for ourselves and others. We will serve in the ministry of the church and will seek to be equipped for the service that God has for us. We will, as we are blessed to be parents, endeavor to bring up our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, and by pure and loving example, seek the salvation of our family and friends. We will rejoice at each other's happiness and seek to show compassion and sympathy in order to bear each other's burdens and sorrows. We will seek to live carefully and wisely in the world, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, and seeking to live a holy life. We will work together for the continuance of a faithful evangelical ministry in this church as we sustain its worship, ordinances, discipline, and doctrines. We will contribute cheerfully and regularly to the support of the ministry, the expense of the church, the relief of the poor, and the spread of the gospel through all nations. We will, when we move from this place, as soon as possible, unite with some other church where we can carry out the spirit of this covenant and the principles of God's word. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. Now, two things. None of that straight out of scripture. Each is the, the church is to be like. So that's, that's why we have that language. Um, number two, it's a covenant and it's a big crazy idea. I've forgotten to pray at times, right? I've forgotten to act in loving at times. So it's not about like, oh, let's just walk around and make sure everybody's following the rules. It's not about that. It's like your marriage covenant. I made some crazy commitments to this woman over here. Nuts. Seriously. And, and, and the truth is, I've only had glimpses of actually living it out. <laughs> glimpses here and there. But as I look at that ideal of loving my wife like Christ loves the church, that ideal shapes me, and, and as I pursue that, it shapes me, and God works in me and, and brings it out from time to time. As we as a people seek to live this covenant out together, it begins to shape us. Something beautiful happens. The gospel creates family, a family relationship where there is no family. And I have to say this, this covenant over the years, I have seen create unbelievably deep and beautiful and profound relationships in six months or a year. Now, I'm not saying just like cash that in and expect that if you're going to join. Uh, but I am saying like our commitments help shape us, help define us. And in what we're committed to, we often, uh, it's the reward, right? The reward of, of going all in on something means you often get the full benefit of that. Um, 
Our membership course, it matters course. I'm not, I know you're thinking, man, he must be really recruiting for this membership matters class next week. The largest one we've already, already registered, we have the largest one we've had in years. We've only got maybe three or four spots left. So if you want to come, sign up because you're going to have to wait till the new year for the next one. Um, so I'm not, I'm not recruiting for the class. What I'm doing is casting a vision for a community. Um, and so for all of us, this isn't just about the class. It's about all of us being a part of something that's bigger, more beautiful, and more profound than we could ever do on our own. And the fact is today, we, as we move into a time of response, we're reminded that Christ made this possible. This isn't us trying hard. This isn't broken people figuring out how to build a system where we can be something more. It is Christ, the power of Christ in us. We have access together in the Father through him. We have a position together as fellow citizens and members of God's family, and we have a purpose together in this world. Sounds like gospel community mission, doesn't it? I didn't say it until <laughs> now, but, but it occurred to me this week in the sermon. And so we have this, this beautiful calling in Christ's death on the cross for us is what makes this possible. What makes making these crazy commitments to each other actually meaningful and hopeful because God's on our side to see this happen. This says you are being built up, not you are building yourselves up. It says you are being built up into a house, God to dwell. So as we take the bread and the cup, we remember the body of Christ broken on the cross. We remember the blood of Christ poured out on the cross on our behalf. Make people like me part of his eternal perfect family. And so I encourage you to take time to repent if you need to. If God has brought sin to your mind, if you've been neglecting community, if you've been carrying bitterness towards someone else, I encourage you to take this time before you take communion and pray. If you're a Christian, anytime over this next song, you can slip, uh, slip out. We have to take communion. If you're new, we have to take communion outside because we're not allowed to food or drink in here. Um, so somewhere over the next song, no rush, uh, make your way to the front, go out those side doors. Communion stations will be outside the communion there and then drop the trash on your way back in um, but not everybody can go at once take your time pray reflect sing however god leads you this time let's pray together jesus thank you thank you it's um <laughs> thank you for being a good good god that that today we get to be a part of something that's bigger and more beautiful and more profound than anything we could ever make or do in this no job, no even earthly family, no community that we could build can ever compare to your church. And I thank you that through your death on the cross, we have access to you. And I pray as we would take the bread and the cup, we would remember what you've done. And God, for those in the room who may not know you, who may have never experienced access to you, that, that love, I pray that today they would. Pray in this moment they would just silently cry out to you. Meet them, meet all of us, Jesus, in this moment. In your name we pray.